We are back. I, I had a chance to speak with Dr. Colm Kelleher uh, a few days back about this new source of mad cow disease in the United States. He'll be returning to talk to you, uh, I think, in two weeks about that issue, perhaps even next week. We're going to try and explain some of the different tests that are used in, in regards to this prion disease, why the one that they claimed uh, was negative back in November was, uh, was falsely negative, why it wasn't a very good test, and uh, I think we can all ponder why it was the government didn't do one of its better tests seven months ago that would have confirmed that was indeed a, a case of um, bovine spongiform encephalopathy. The, uh, the, the answer to that, of course, can be found where politics and economics meet. Let's just make this segment, uh, I think, a mostly science segment here for our next, uh, our last 15 minutes. Uh, a long overdue story from, um, from France. A 30-nation consortium picked France last week as the site of the world's first fusion reactor. The European Union, the U.S., China, Japan, South Korea, and Russia are all chipping in about $6 billion to build the International Thermonuclear Experimental Reactor over 10 years. Currently, nuclear reactors use fission reactions, which split atoms apart. This planned reactor would, of course, fuse hydrogen atoms into helium, the process which powers the hydrogen, not the atomic bomb. I heard, and perhaps you heard Ira Flato talking about this on last week's uh, Science Friday, where he said that uh, it seems to him in the past three decades of reporting on science that uh, nuclear fusion uh, has always been about 30 years in the future. The uh, scientist uh, replied, I think, correctly, that they were actually about on target considering how much had been spent on fusion research over the past 30 years, not just looking at how much time has elapsed. Because uh, as we've talked about on this program, there was a conscious decision made by the United States federal government about 1980 to stop putting a whole lot of money into fusion research. Now, uh, cynics among you might believe that it's something to do with the political clout of the uh, of the oil industry and of the uh, of, of the conventional fission uh, uh, nuclear industry, and um, I, I I would think that your suspicions uh, have have some merit in this. From the letters uh, section of, of one of the uh, one of the issues of New Scientist from last month, I, I love this following item: a van from Richard Saunders Paintballing Center in the UK was noted to be emblazoned with menacing-looking camouflaged figures along with a slogan that said, quote, 0.95% will fail. Have you got what it takes? <laughs> Saunders wrote that he hadn't realized paintballing was quite that easy because you have less than a 1% failure rate. Oh, that decimal point is so important where you put it. You know, let's talk about how we're going to put facial recognition and technology. We're going to have all these cameras around American cities and pick out prospective terrorists. In the wake of that, I love this item. Uh, Dateline Washington. U.S. officials are now casting serious doubts on whether a hostage taker photographed in 1979 after the U.S. embassy seizure in Tehran is Iran's president-elect. Yeah, apparently uh, Mahmoud 
Ahmadinejad, the president-elect in Iran, certainly looks like this guy that was uh, escorting uh, the hostages back in 1979. But they say they just they're, they're not they don't think it was. The case is judged to be far from closed, however, and has the potential to revive a quarter-century-old uh, you know a sore point between the U.S. and Iran. Speaking of international sore points, uh, the U.S., of course, being the only uh, member of the G8 to not sign the Kyoto uh, Accords, is attracting a lot of attention from the rest of the world who keeps wondering what is up. Or, or, or asking, uh, wh- why is anyone surprised? That was the question by John Vidal in the London Guardian, noting that the Bush administration has been in bed with the oil industry from the very beginning. For more on this, we would refer you to the... Uh, Mother Jones, May, June 2005 issue. They have a fabulous uh, article. It's the cover article, actually noting, As the World Burns, How Think Tanks and Journalists Funded by ExxonMobil Are Out to Convince You That Global Warming is a Hoax. On page 41, they note what they call the Cold Earth Society. Some of these skeptics that keep showing up. Uh, Sally Bylunas is a Harvard-Smithsonian Institute astrophysicist who, with colleague Willie Soon, uh, claimed that solar effects could account for the rise of the global thermostat. After that theory was debunked, Bylunas and Soon wrote a paper, partially funded by the American Petroleum Institute for Climate Research, that claimed that the 20th century wasn't all that warm. Their conclusions have been praised as the epitome of, quote, sound science, unquote, by, by global warming deniers, including Senator James Imhoff. The journal's editor, Meanwhile, said that paper should never have been published. Bylunas and Soon are each connected to at least four ExxonMobil-funded groups. Anyway, uh, d- do check out that article. And, uh, and note that the Houston Chronicle, which is, I guess, probably what the paper of record in the Lone Star State's uh, largest city, noted that uh, contrary to popular belief, the Bush administration really does have a policy on global warming. The editorial noted that it can be summarized in one neat sentence. See no warming, hear no warming, speak no warming. Every other industrialized nation, it notes, has acknowledged that Earth is heating up due to man-made gases. But just last week, the prestigious National Academy of Sciences and 10 other scientific organizations from around the world called global warming the, quote, greatest danger facing humanity, unquote. And lest you doubt that, we would refer you to page 19, New Scientist magazine, June 18th issue, article titled, Ancient Glimpse of Sea's Bleak Future. This is based on a study done of the seafloor looking for mass extinctions. There, I did not know this. There was apparently the most significant mass extinction of sea life known took place 55 million years ago. This is, this is, uh, this is 8 million years after the, uh, the dinosaur uh, event, dinosaur killing event. Uh, although we don't know how this happened, it appears that uh, about 55 million years ago, something like 4,500 gigatons of carbon dioxide entered our atmosphere, which led to a catastrophic episode of global warming, which had some resulting acidification of the earth seas as that CO2 uh, went into uh, into the oceans. This lasted more than 100,000 years. 
Now, if you're not worried yet about doing something to the Earth that might take 100,000 years to fix, um, <sighs> keep in mind that uh, this is a huge amount of carbon dioxide, 4,500 gigatons. That's billions of tons. But do note that this is what we could release into the atmosphere by our continued burning of fossil fuels over the next couple hundred years. You know, it may turn out that if we do run out of fossil fuels in the next few decades, this, this might actually save us. Because as we've talked about in this program before, there is ice under the sea containing methane, and methane is a much, much more potent greenhouse gas than is CO2. And if you get to the point where you warm the oceans enough to have that ice bust loose, well, then you may set off a 100,000-year-long uh, kind of a deep-sea bummer in terms of uh, life on Earth. And uh, boy, talking about fossil fuels versus alternatives, uh, interesting uh, article from the Portland Oregonian, which has the following quote. There is a great deal of scientific evidence showing nuclear power to be an environmentally sound and safe choice. A doubling of nuclear energy production would make it possible to significantly reduce total greenhouse gas emissions nationwide. In order to create a better environment and energy secure future, the United States must once again renew its leadership in this area. This was not a statement made by Vice President Dick Cheney or some, uh, it was noted uh, in, the, in the article, uranium cuff-linked lobbyist for the nuclear industry. This uh, pro, rather pro-nukes statement came from Greenpeace founder Patrick Moore. People are noting that although nuclear power does have its problems, it produces none of the sulfur dioxide, nitrogen oxide, and carbon dioxide that are currently spewing into our atmosphere. Uh, this is certainly a topic worthy of discussion. Uh, this same article noted that when Britain's Hugh Montefiore, who was a longtime trustee of Friends of the Earth, was ready to make a pro-nukes pronouncement, saying, quote, I have now come to the conclusion that the solution to global warming is to make more use of nuclear energy, unquote. His colleagues made him resign. All right, let us close with the following science article from our perennial favorite, New Scientist magazine. I, I, this is very short and sweet, but I, I just was amazed. We perhaps are all familiar. I think probably most of you are familiar with the fact that uh, the brain... The human brain contains inside of it a map of the human body, wherein uh, different parts of your body travel through all these fibers, nerve fibers go up, and uh, basically localize themselves. You're represented in a kind of a distorted human figure up in the brain, which, which does call to mind the Gary Larson cartoon where the neurosurgeons are going, <laughs> push over here and see what happens. That's <laughs> the guy getting brain surgeries, like kicking his foot out. Yes, but this little uh, man-like figure has been called uh, the homunculus. New scientists noted that the genitalia's location in this brain homunculus has been in dispute since the 1920s. But we now at last know where the penis is represented in the male brain. Yes, apparently Christian Kell at the University of Frankfurt in Germany has put eight men into an MRI scanner to settle the question. Using a soft brush, Kell stroked parts of each volunteer's body while recording brain activity. 
Each man's penis was represented in the same place. It was flanked by the areas for the toes and abdomen. Uh, Kell notified his colleagues of this finding at the Organization of Human Brain Mapping annual meeting in Toronto, adding rather sadly, quote, the only depressing thing is that the representation is very small. Got about three minutes left. We want to just do then three obituaries. The first is that of Mr. Paul Winchell. We're going to talk uh, on next week's program to someone that worked with Paul Winchell, who is really a fascinating character. We're also going to try and talk to somebody over at uh, at uh, Sutter Hospital in Sacramento, where they perform numerous heart transplants. What's the connection? Well, apparently the uh, the ventriloquist who uh, who uh, was the genius behind Knucklehead Smith and Jerry Mahoney was also an inventor. And he actually patented in the 1960s a device that was a prototype for the first Jarvik artificial heart implanted in a human being back in 1982. We will return to the matter of Paul Winchell next week. We would note the passing of Adolfo Aguilar Zinzer. He was an outspoken Mexican diplomat, died last month. Uh, Mr. Zinzer was the Mexican representative to the United Nations, well, found, found himself on the, uh, the Security Council during the ramp-up for war in Iraq. He was a Harvard-trained lawyer. He did not think a military attack on Iraq was legal. Noted also that Mexicans were opposed to it. He basically stopped the resolution that came, before, uh, came across his desk in early 2003, noting minutely how it departed from international law. Five other countries joined him to resist American arm twisting, and the United States was eventually obliged to abandon hope of getting a second resolution that would create an international force to go into Iraq. It was very courageous of Mr. Aguilar Zinzer. Last item of the day, we note the passing of James Stockdale. Stockdale is no doubt best known for his brief and rather lackluster career as a politician. He ran for vice president with Ross Perot in 1992. His obituaries noted that, uh, th- this, uh, that his failed effort uh, in politics in no way tarnished his image as a genuine war hero. Senator John McCain, who was a POW with him, said of uh, Vice Admiral Stockdale, he was one of the bravest men I've ever known. His leadership inspired us, the POWs, to do better than we ever thought we could. Stockdale led the, uh, the prisoner underground of, of POWs of the Vietnamese uh, in the 1960s and 70s, and apparently was so successful in, uh, in stealing the resolve of the POWs that their captors gave up tactics of harassment and torture, feeling that such brutality was going to prove useless. I want to go out with Admiral Stockdale today because we mentioned on this program some months ago that he was quite literally the leader of the initial airstrike of the Vietnam War. We mentioned that Admiral Stockdale was in the air during the Gulf of Tonkin incident. After his retirement, He bluntly disputed the official line of the Johnson administration that the first strikes against North Vietnam were in retaliation for Vietnamese attacks against two U.S. destroyers in the Gulf of Tonkin. Nothing happened, he said. I literally led the initial strike of the war, and I knew it was under false pretenses.
think this is appropriate music to go out with. It, it would seem sadly that the, the U.S. was fooled again in this latest uh, adventure over in Iraq. Another instance of a war started under false pretenses. Our thanks again to Pablo Stansberry uh, associated with Pastors for Peace, and I hope that uh, all of you listening can find a way to assist their effort uh, down uh, for the island of Cuba. Really, they need aspirin. If you could just take a large bottle of aspirin down, I think that would help. And if you're a physician or a nurse and happen to have expired antibiotics, crutches, what have you, please, please, if you can, make those available. We're out of time. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm Douglas Everett. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. We'll uh, see you next Thursday. In the meantime, stay tuned for Todd.